It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 188, Hezekiah's Triumph. Before the war with Assyria ever started, Hezekiah pulled aside his leaders and generals and told them to not be afraid of the Assyrians and their king Sennacherib. For 2 Chronicles 32, 8, With him is the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. So far, the war has gone terribly against Hezekiah. He's lost everything except the last holdout, the city of Jerusalem. And the king nearly died of sickness, but he's recovering at this point, three days out of his healing. Early the next morning, a man with a ferocious voice arrived at the gate of Jerusalem at the head of a large Assyrian force. Second king state he has a large army with him. So it appears the Assyrian army is split up, part at the gates of Jerusalem, another at Lachish still where Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, was. Second Kings 18.17 The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer, and his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They came up to Jerusalem and stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. They called for the king, and Eliakim, son of Helkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went out to them. Okay, so it appears only the generals and a few other Assyrians were allowed into the city to discuss the terms of surrender, or maybe an alliance or some bargain for Jerusalem. But instead, the general of Assyria, the commander, is intolerant and defiant. Well, Hezekiah has just sent them loads of gold, but this doesn't appear to have made any difference. The Assyrians are intent on destroying Jerusalem or forcing them into complete submission. Now we arrive at the confrontation at what has become known as Hezekiah's pool. What's interesting is that this is the place Isaiah confronted Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, and told him about the rise of Assyria to destroy northern Israel. It's the place of the virgin birth prophecy. Now we have an alien general about to blaspheme God in the same holy location. Defiling holy ground is a horrible idea. The Assyrian general is faced with Eliakim standing in the place of the palace administrator, Shebna the secretary, and Johad the recorder representing the king. Before the one-sided conversation starts, we have to know the common language in this time period was Hebrew. The nobles and ruling class normally understood Hebrew with Aramaic, a regional language as well. The general basically demanded the surrender of Jerusalem. He fired off immediately. He didn't care about the gold he had in his possession. They wanted surrender without a timely siege. His wordy and demanding, and he must have been one of those ancient men who could shout for miles and everyone heard him. Have you ever considered this? They didn't have radios or loudspeakers. These ancient generals must have possessed a set of lungs and massive vocal range that must have been unbelievable in their day. Isaiah 36, 8. This is what the king, the king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing your confidence? 
You say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you're depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierches the hand of anyone who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar? Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you two thousand horses if you can even put riders on them. How then can you repulse one officer, the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against his country and destroy it. The shouting from the man must have aroused the populace, who was already aligned with fear at this stage in the game. Their countrymen and cities were no longer inhabited with the exception of Jerusalem. The fear in the city must have been horrid, and we have to consider this guy carries the spirit of fear, and with it his words made people cringe when they heard him speak like fingers on a chalkboard. His words had a grating effect on the soul, his hateful and fearful tone, combined with his arrogance and booming of his voice in the historical moment, must have aroused everyone to heights of anxiety and doom. Isaiah 36, 11. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the field commander, Please speak in your, to your servants in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people of the wall. But the commander replied, Was it only to your master and to you that my master sent me to say these things, not to the people sitting on the wall, who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Have the God of any nations ever delivered their lands from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where the gods of Sarphabam? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save their lands from me? Then how can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply, because the king had commanded, Do not answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Helkiah, and the palace administrator, Shebna the secretary, and Joah, son of Aphath, the recorder, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him what the field commander had said. See, the commander is raging against God and wants to arouse the people against Hezekiah. The king listens from afar, refusing to address the general. These death threats mean little to the man who just realized the full extent of his healing. The king puts on sackcloth and waits for the Assyrian general to finally go silent and eventually leave. He even puts on his crown as his servants come to him in the palace delivering his words. He tears his garments with the others, and they run out of the palace straight to the temple. Hezekiah runs through the throngs of people in the streets, refusing to be moved by their fear of the man who just spoke to them. 
The people see the king and do not rejoice or speak, but they're all by the lack of dignity with these noble men with torn garments running through the street. Hezekiah speeds up ahead of the others as he enters the outer court of the temple with the words of blasphemy cupped in his heart. As he enters the temple courts, he turns to those following him. Isaiah 37. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander whom this his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore pray for the remnant that still survives. Hezekiah continues to the doors of the temple. And at the front door of the temple, two Levitical priests stare incredulously as their king, who was nearly dead days before, now stood at the forbidden temple of the Lord. The king began to step over the threshold when a priest gave him a glaring eye. My lord, when King Uzzah, Hezekiah looked back at the priest, I'm not going to burn incense or anything of the sort. With darkness at the gates, I refuse to allow a veil to separate me and God. I will step forth into this holy place, and I will place this blasphemy before my king. The priest bowed his head, refusing no further, opening a way for the king to enter. The king stepped over the threshold and was amazed at the bright golden interior. His eyes adjusted and his heart focused. He stepped forward toward the steps and the veil and the holy of holies. With each step, his heart burned, his skin temperature increased, and his mind raced. Feeling an intense heat with each step, he refused to be hindered by a spiritual fire ablaze in the temple, and he fell to his knees short of the steps of the holy of holies. The officials didn't dare go in the holy place. But they found Isaiah and told him how the king had entered the temple of the Lord. Isaiah smiled. Isaiah 37, 6. Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemy. Listen. When he hears a certain report, I will make him return to his own country and there I will have him cut down with the sword. When the king exited the temple, almost glowing, his officials met him there and told him what Isaiah said. Within the hour, the Assyrian force was gone, away from the walls. Isaiah 37, 8. When the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Before Sennacherib could move his forces far off, he threatened Hezekiah again with a sinister, vile letter, going too far this time and challenging even heaven. Isaiah 37, 9. Now Sennacherib received a report that Tarkakah, the king of Cush, was marching out to fight against him. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word, Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will be not given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? 
Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? The gods of Gozan, Haran, Rezeb, and the people of Eden who were in Tel Asar. Where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad? Now Hezekiah has blasphemy literally in his hands. He is a healed, saved, delivered king, and his enemy defies him and God. He even tempts God to come and fight for Hezekiah. Like a worthy intercessor by all standards, Hezekiah takes evidence of the defilement of blasphemy and cursing of his enemies and presents it before the judgment seat of Almighty God. And God must answer such allegations, for it is his nature. Hezekiah 37.14 Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these peoples and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone and fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know you, Lord, are the only God. Isaiah receives God's answer and responds to the king in Isaiah-like fashion. Isaiah 37, 21. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word the Lord has spoken against him. Virgin daughter Zion despises and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against whom you have raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel? By your messengers you have ridiculed the Lord. And you have said, With my many chariots I have ascended the heights of the mountains, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars, the choices of its junipers. I've reached its remotest heights, the finest of its forest. I've dug wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there. With the soles of my feet, I've dried up all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago, I ordained it. In days of old, I've planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people drained of power are dismayed and put to shame. They're like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you are and where you come from and go and how you rage against me because you rage against me and because your insolence has reached my ears. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will make you return by the way you came. This will be the sign for you, Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself, and the second year what springs from that. But in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. 
For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he has come, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Now we've got a lot of words now that Assyria wasn't going to harm Israel anymore. And when words repeat and prophetic words come one after another, they become now words. Now is the time for the Lord to go out at the head of his armies. We all know that no nation was strong enough to beat the Assyrians. It would require supernatural intervention. And the Bible's full of supernatural battlefield exploits, but not one of them in such totality as what happens next. In a night like the night of the firstborn in Egypt, something swift and deadly overtakes the Assyrian camp. We end this episode in our account of Hezekiah with the only event recorded in the Old Testament three times. The next scene has such little biblical coverage, the Bible's just funny that way. The supernatural is just left to your imagination. Here's what happens next, and one could write many, many books about it, but it only gets two lines in the Bible. Isaiah 37, 36. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were all the dead bodies. The death toll here is extraordinary, exorbitant. It's 185,000 dead soldiers. This is the equivalent um, to entire cities or close to the active personnel in the armed forces of France at the moment, gone in an evening. It's truly overwhelming and stunning to have such a such a horrific single moment. It's almost desensitizing in its numbers. Um, here's more perspective. The three-day death toll at the Battle of Gettysburg was 51,000, compared to 185,000 of the Assyrians. Over three times as many Assyrians died on this night than the three-day Battle of Gettysburg. Over a four-year period, the U.S. had a death toll of 400,000 soldiers in World War II. In a single night, the Assyrians lost half that number. The loss to the actual population of Assyria as an empire or country must have been high just as a sheer percentage. And, and this is just hard to fathom what happened that dreadful night and to think this army was um, even more responsible for even more deaths of innocence uh, prior to this period. This scene reminds me of another battle in the Bible. At the end of the age, millions will gather at a place called Armageddon to confront the armies of heaven, and in a single moment, the white rider will vanquish his enemies with a word and a sword from his mouth. And before our recorded history, when Lucifer rebelled against God, there was no campaign or war, honestly. There was a single rallying moment when the dark angels assembled and God just threw him out of heaven. There was no battles, highs and lows, you know, uh, turning points. Um, there was plotting of angels, but then God spoke and the fireballs out of heaven threw the dark angels out.
a fireball hurled the enemies of God out of heaven. The overwhelming, impossible to comprehend power of God. We have to assume that blaspheming a Syrian general was in the mix when death arrived. And as far as Sennacherib, whose name is super interesting, uh, Senna is a god of Assyria, but in our English context, it's Senna, it's pronounced Sin. Sin and Sherib. Sherib is the suffix, and Senna is the prefix. It, it, it's another name, uh, Sherib is another name for like a, a chief angel. Um, and sin, we know as darkness and committing uh, agreements with evil. He was fully empowered by a dark, fallen, sinful angel, which he worshipped. And when all legal sin and soul ties were removed from Judah, there was no pull, no leverage, no permission, nothing in them that allowed any more defeats of Judah. Add the blasphemy and the cursing and the powerful intercession and an actual king willing to risk his own life in the holy place, God was moved to act on Hezekiah's behalf. Sennacherib was dead within the year. Isaiah thirty-seven thirty-seven. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons killed him with a sword, and they escaped the land of Ararat. Josephus and Herodotus describe the end of the Assyrian army differently. Here is Josephus's and Herodotus's description of what happened. Uh, they're different, but they're confirming the historical fact of the death of the Assyrian army. Herodotus has a colorful account of the siege in Egypt where the priest prays and the following happens. A multitude of mice gnawed to pieces in one night both the bows and the rest of the armor of the Assyrians, and that it was on that account that the king, when he had no bows left, drew off his army. Josephus actually corrects Herodotus in his works and goes further to mention the following. Now when Sennacherib was returning from his Egyptian war to Jerusalem, he found his army under Rabshakeh, his general, in danger by plague. For God had sent a pestilent distemper upon his army. And on the very first night of the siege, a hundred fourscore and five thousand with their captain and generals were destroyed. So the king was in a great dread and a terrible agony at this calamity, and being in such great fear of his whole army, he fled with the rest of his forces to his own kingdom and to his city Nineveh, and when he had abode there a little while, he was treacherously assaulted and died by the hands of his elder sons. So the biblical trusted account has death by an angel. The historical accounts have an attack of mice or plague, and maybe God allowed mice to invade the camp. I mean, there's weirder stuff in the wilderness days prior to Joshua's invasion. Maybe the composite of the two is the answer. Typically, composite accounts of the same event are actually confirmation of more detail of the event. Who knows? Maybe there's a hollow disk projector of the event in heaven one day for us to watch it play out play by play. But I'll tell you this. I'm going to stare and worship God for a while before I go to the history movie store in heaven. All right, let's give a quick peek behind the veil here. The Assyrian army was dominated by torture and violence and fear. There was This was their stronghold, and we can assume this is how the principality of Assyria worked. 
Could it be an angelic war occurred where the overpowering demons of Assyria were defeated by Michael and his armies from heaven, and the Assyrian army was annihilated once their demonic protection was gone? Maybe we'll learn in heaven, but it was a nasty business as God went as the head and fought for his people after a king repented, rose on the third day and went into the holy place and released everything, every sin, every shame, everything to God, even the blasphemy of an evil king, resulting in the arrival of and the triumph of the Lion of Judah, God himself in a battle over the Assyrian menace. Ah, this was such an awesome story. Somehow the Assyrian Empire will go on other campaigns. Hezekiah's son will submit to them, and his account is another story. Egypt will fall to the Assyrians, but only for 30 years, and a combined allied army will rally to destroy the entirety of the civilization of the Assyrians, which we'll cover because we are starting to get into the uh, um, empire uh, and prophet period. For the account of Daniel will span world empires, and it's truly phenomenal how secular and spiritual world history will collide soon. Let's conclude this most remarkable story with a historical poem. Lord Byron was considered a troubled romantic poet back in the day, and his personal life was a bit of an unusual sort. But he wrote some of the greatest poetry the world had ever seen. He wrote a collection of biblical poems, and one of them is titled The Destruction of Sennacherib. We conclude with The Destruction of Sennacherib, published in 1815. The Destruction of Sennacherib by Lord Byron. The Assyrian came like a wolf on the fold, and his cohorts were gleaming in purple and gold. And the sheen of their spears was like stars on the sea, when the blue wave rolls nightly on deep Galilee. Like the leaves of the forest when summer is green, that host with their banners at sunset were seen. Like the leaves of the forest when autumn hath blown, that host on the morrow lay withered and strown. For the angel of death spread his wings on the blast and breathed in the face to the foe as he passed. And the eyes of the sleepers waxed deadly and chill, and their hearts but once heaved and forever grew still. And there lay the steed with his nostrils all wide, but through it all rolled not the breath of his pride, and the foam of his gasping lay white on the turf, and cold as the spray of the rock-beaten surf. And there lay the rider distorted and pale, with the dew on his brow and the rust on his mail, and the tents were all silent, the banners alone, the lances unlifted, the trumpet unblown. And the widows of Asher are loud in their wail, and the idols are broke in the temple of Baal. And the might of the Gentile, unsmote by the sword, hath melted like snow in the glance of the Lord. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.
Dot com.